Father, we are coming into your presence, but through the Lord Jesus Christ, who deserves the honour that we give him, and much more. We know that the day will come when every knee will bow to him, things in heaven and things in earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And that will bring glory to you. But today we are seeking to consider him. How wonderful a saviour he is for us. How perfect he is. All that he has been, living the life we should have lived. All that he has done in dying the death we deserve to die. And we pray that here in this meeting, You will help Steve Wright to minister to us and by your grace you will open our hearts that we may love our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ much more than we do at this moment in consequence of your word and that we will trust him more and that we will understand him more. Open our hearts, Lord. May your spirit have sway within us we pray for Gerard we know that he is serving you at this moment and he is seeking to win precious souls for Christ give him utterance and help and power we pray and many of our brothers and sisters all over the world and particularly those in our home churches are meeting to give honour to you and to enjoy one another's company as Christian brothers and sisters at this moment. Remember them in your goodness, Lord, and help them to love each other with a pure heart fervently. And now we pray, Lord, for those who, during this time that we meet, will suffer and will die. We know that in the hour in which we meet, over 20 Believers ordinarily will be executed or murdered for our Saviour. And all the grief and the suffering that that will bring, we therefore remember, Lord, our privileges and their sufferings. May you grant them much grace. May you grant their families much help. May you give them a glorious entrance into your kingdom. We now pray that you will open our eyes, that we may see the glory of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, and that you will pardon us, that we are so careless and negligent and worse, we are often willful in the way that we disobey him. Change us for for the better, Lord, even in this meeting. It is our prayer, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're reading in John's Gospel, chapter 20. We begin at verse 24. But Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them, When Jesus came, the other disciples therefore said to him, 
We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Until I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Well, may the Lord bless our reading. We hand over to Steve. May the Lord open our hearts. Well, this morning our subject is confidence in the Saviour. Confidence in the Saviour. And it's a wonderful theme. I think there are many uh, times of the weekend when God speaks to us, but what better climax than to have than to really come round the Lord's table. It surely must be the centre point for every, uh, every believer to be able to remember him this morning. This morning we are going to examine ourselves. We are going to look back with gratefulness to the Lord's death and to celebrate his death and resurrection as we gather around the Lord's ta- table. Today we do not exalt in service, even though we are thrilled at the hundreds and hundreds of people that have been reached and those who have come to trust Christ. But we exalt this morning in a victorious Saviour, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We know Jesus was crucified. His body was put in the tomb. The perfume and the embalming must have filled the tomb with fragrance. We can imagine probably how things went. Pilate went home to have supper and probably made a report to the wife of of the day's events. Ananias and Caiaphas probably presided at the respective Passover feast. Peter wept alone. The body of Judas lay forgotten. John sought to comfort Mary. The other disciples, their confidence shattered, hid from the public eye. Herod and his men mocked. Did Mary have a sense of expectation in her heart? Did a Roman soldier try on a new robe and another try to wash the blood of the Son of God of his spear? The world spun round. Angels watched and a number went down each to prepare the dawn of a new day that would shape the visible and the invisible world. Calvary had occurred. But praise God this morning, 
We stand on not only resurrection ground, but we stand on redemption ground. Can I have a quiet hallelujah? One, two, three. Hallelujah. Because that's where we are this morning. We celebrate the cross of Jesus because of the finished work. We'll sing, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. But one, in the sense of this table this morning, it is both the death and the resurrection. What was it that transformed Peter from a person who denied Jesus, and yet he was able to stand up and say, Men of Israel, listen, this Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then he goes on to say, listen to this in Acts 2 and 29. Brothers, I tell you confidently that the patriarch David is dead and buried. But God has raised Jesus from the dead and we are witnesses of this fact. And over 3,000 were added to the church that day. Why can we have confidence as we gather around the Lord's table this morning and have confidence in the Saviour? I want to say very simply this morning. We can have confidence in the Saviour, first of all, because he is the answer to doubt. Secondly, we can have confidence in a, in a, in a crucified and risen Saviour because he is the answer to despair. Thirdly, we can have confidence in a risen Saviour because he is the answer to defeat. He is also the answer to the devil. And praise God, he is the answer to death. It is wonderful this morning to stand upon resurrection ground. First of all then, let's consider he is the answer to doubt. We know this, that down in the annals of sacred history, Thomas has gone down as one who is known as Doubting Thomas. First of all, we see in this passage, doubt described. The backdrop to Thomas's confession was that the women had gone to investigate the tomb of Jesus. They found it empty. But later, it was confirmed by Peter and John. And then by Mary Magdalene. And then he was seen by the apostles with the exception of Thomas. However, as he looked into the, uh, uh, and heard the disciples, he said this, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my hand into the print of his nails and thrust my hand into his side. I will not believe. Do you know this? Do you come this morning and if you're being really honest, you have your doubts? We know of Thomas. He was inquisitive. He was present at the raising of Lazarus. He was zealous in following Jesus alone. It was Thomas when Jesus talked about heaven and he said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you and I go to prepare a place for you. It was Thomas who said, Lord, how can we know the way? And back came the reply that has haunted the corridors of human history when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. He was the witness of the miracles of Jesus. But somehow his faith had gotten out of focus he had drifted from his moorings. Doubt described. So I come here this morning, and you've been through a tough time, and you feel the doubts that sometimes go over you in different things. Well, Thomas knew what it was. How 
wonderfully honest the Bible is about Thomas. But secondly, I want you to notice that... that just go back one slide, sorry. If, uh, <coughs> just one slide, sorry. But doubt was dissolved because after eight days, it says this, his disciples were within and Thomas with them and they came to Jesus, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then said he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and put it to my side and be not faithless but believing. Doubt was dispelled. So we've been learning throughout this weekend, that the answer to doubt is fact, the revelation of God's Word. I don't know if you've ever sometimes been in a train station, and you're on one train, you're this side of the platform, and someone, uh, another train is on the other side, and you wonder who is moving, whether it's your train or the other. And the way that you can really check is by looking at the objective uh, a fact of the platform. Now, I live in Belfast, and if the platform's moving, we know we've got real problems. But <clears throat> you look at the platform because the platform is the objective, immovable object. I want to say this, that as Thomas looked at the glorified resurrection, the answer to doubt is fact. We stand upon wonderful resurrection gr- ground. Because they found this that as they looked and they came to the empty tomb that morning, they found that Jesus was alive. The women went in there and they discovered the fact of the empty tomb. They also discovered the fact of the words of the angels when they said this, He is not here. He is risen. Come see the place where the Lord lay. I always remember in my penultimate year studying law, we had to do a thesis on anything connected with law. And I said to my agnostic professor, would it be okay if I did mine on the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus? He said, that sounds really interesting. He said, Mr. Wright, he said, my brother uh, 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 was an atheist. He had no interest in religion until he was 18 and he became a Christian. And it was amazing as we sat down to do the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. The wonderful fact of the direct witnesses of Jesus Christ. If each was to give six-minute first-hand testimony, it would take well over 52 hours to fill a courtroom with evidence. There was Mary Magdalene, James, Joanna, Cleopas, the Apostle, James, the half-brother of Jesus, the Apostle Paul, whose name was called Saul, who was so opposed to Jesus, and yet he was transformed by the resurrection power of Jesus. It was a real delight, uh, both in Trinity University in Dublin and in Queens in Belfast, to do a debate with atheists on this house believes in the resurrection of Jesus. It was a wonderful night. God bless the work of UCCF and all the students and all the missions that Roger will be doing in the next five weeks, reaching out to hundreds of students. But I well remember as the chairman of the Atheistic Society said this as we presented the evidence. He said, the trouble with you Christians is that you use your Bible and the brains and your brains. We said, would you repeat that please? Because we stand on resurrection ground, the best attested fact in ancient history. They saw, they spoke, and they touched Jesus Christ. Not only that, we know the wonderful circumstantial evidence, the empty tomb, the stone, the breaking of the seals, the remarkable position of the grave clothes, so that when they came in, they saw the body of Jesus wrapped, exactly as if an Egyptian, like an Egyptian mummy, the headpiece in a separate place for the rest of the, the grave clothes. And no thief could have enacted such a remarkable feat. 
Because the body had just gone straight through. Somebody well said this, the stone was not rolled away to let the uh, uh, Jesus out. It was rolled away to let the disciples in. Because something supernatural had happened. And in an amazing way, Christ had destroyed death. He had risen and appeared to over 520 witnesses. And with great authority and great power, they preached the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. It's so interesting to know that many a person who's begun to examine it. We could uh, 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 share many, and if you want a tape on this, we would gladly, Jeremiah, will send you a free tape on the evidence for the resurrection. But you know, Professor Simon Greenlee was a professor of law at Harvard University. He used to mock the claims of Christians. An expert on the law of evidence. He took a sabbatical year off and he came back having examined the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And he wrote a volume called The Testimony of the Four Evangelists According to the Laws of Legal Evidence as Administered in the Courts of Law. And he came to the conclusion that the resurrection of Jesus was one of the best attested facts in ancient history. Doubt was dissolved. And as Thomas, the monotheistic Jew, stood before Jesus, there was deity that was declared. Because he, as he stood before the risen Lord, he cried, My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Sometimes our Jehovah Witness friends will say, Oh, that was just an, ex an exclamation. But it was more than that, because Jesus accepted it. In Acts chapter 14, verse 14, when Paul and Barnabas preached at Lystra, a crippled man was healed. The people began to cry, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. But Paul and Barnabas refused to accept such worship. In the book of the Revelation, chapter 19 and verse 10, John fell at the feet of the angel to worship him. But the angel said, I am thy fellow servant of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. However, when Jesus was worshipped by Thomas, the glorified, resurrected Christ accepted his worship. My Lord and my God. What was it that convinced uh, Thomas? Very simply, first of all, the words of Jesus. He said, peace be unto you. Isn't it wonderful to know in a world racked by wars and, and all sorts of different things that are happening, just exactly as Jesus said, he says, peace I give unto you, not as the world gives. Where my mom lives in Harrogate, in the Stray, there was a lovely minister who penned these words as he walked the Stray in Harrogate. Peace, peace, peace. In this dark world of sin, the blood of Jesus whispers peace within. It was not only the words of Jesus, but it was the wounds of Jesus as well. It spoke of identification, that it was the very Son of God. Our Muslim friends would say it wasn't Jesus who was resurrected, it was somebody else. But no, he said, look, he said, the wounds, it spoke of his identification. But above all, it spoke of sacrifice. We often used to sing on beach missions, wounded for me, wounded for me. There on the cross he was wounded for me. Gone my transgressions, and now I am free. All because Jesus was wounded for me. Those wounds spoke of the holiness of God. That God said this, that sin must be punished. And on that cross, as darkness enveloped the, of the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then in a loud voice later, he cries, Tedalestai, finished, finished. I often used to sing the hymn, Lifted up was he to die, 
It is finished was his cry. Never sing that quietly again. It is finished was his cry. Because he had paid the price for sin. It shows the love of God. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Vast, unmeasured, boundless, free. It shows his wonderful love. A love for you and love for me. Do you ever wade in the love of God? Do you ever sometimes think, why should God love a Steve Wright? Why should God, in his mercy, ever come down to me, a person so fickle? And yet he says he loves us with an everlasting love. And in love, he reached out to a doubting Thomas. It's a wonderful thing to know this, that we do not depend upon what we have done, but upon what he has done. And through his grace, we are justified, just as if I'd never sinned. A friend was traveling through Chicago and went to O'Hare Airport. It had been a rough night. Many flights had been cancelled. And as they came... Uh, uh, and they put out camp beds and different things so that people could sleep overnight as the wind and the snow had come in. This Christian noticed that there was a lady who was very distressed because her baggage had been checked in, and she wanted to get some medication for a child. And so he said, look, he said, can I help you? And he went down to the bowels of O'Hare Airport, managed to retrieve the baggage, brought back the medication, and the mother was just so, she said, thank you so much. It's often a little act of kindness, isn't it, to speak to a person. And sitting nearby was a, a priest, and the priest said to him in a smiling way, he said, well, you've done your good deed for today. And he said, thanks for saying that, he said. But you know, he said, there's a question, he said, that I've always been wanting to ask you, and ask someone. And he said, I think you could help me. He said, how many good deeds a day do I have to do to break even with God and to get him to heaven? The priest smiled and he said, that's really interesting, he said. I can see that you've got a lot on your mind. He said, well, he said, he said, I've just got back from Ireland, and he said, where he said, I met many people who were desperately trying to be made right before they had been declared right. They're trying to live the life before they've had the forgiveness and the power of Jesus. It turned out that this man was an expert in ethics at the Vatican. And as they began to explain that we stand complete in Christ, not because of what we have done, but because of what he has done, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is only through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because he has paid the price. And as morning broke, as they went through the whole book of Romans at 6 a.m., this man, he looked up, he said, would you really pray for me? He said, I need to understand more of this. Can I say this this morning? I need to understand more of it. It is not of works. It is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We stand, crown him the Lord of love, behold his hands and side, those wounds yet visible above in beauty glorified. No angel in the sky can fully bear that sight, but downward bends his wandering eye at mysteries so bright. Have you ever thought about this? Isn't it wonderful to regularly gather around the Lord's table? Thomas remained in his doubt for seven days. It was on the eighth day that Jesus appeared. Can I say this? There's only one time you're allowed to be a two-timer. It's on a Sunday. Go morning and evening. But go weekly. Because if Thomas had gone the first day, I want to suggest he would never have been in the doubt the rest of the seven days. How wonderful it is as we come to examine ourselves this morning, to come around the Lord's table and to know that he loves us with an everlasting love.
Next, I want you to notice, let's go back one side, here's the answer to despair. Here's the answer to despair. It's a wonderful thing, this, to really know that we have a person who can meet us at the deepest point of our, our need. John 20, 11 said this, Mary stood without the sepulchre weeping. They said, they have taken away my Lord out of the sepulchre and I know not where they have laid him. As Christians, we live in the 21st century in an age of fear. Jesus said in the latter times, men's heart would fail them for fear. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege of speaking in Washington on, 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 on the answer, the rule of law and terrorism. And it was so moving to go down to ground zero. And we just see New Orleans and we see all the different things that are happening. And sometimes, do you ever get overwhelmed by the wickedness of this world? Do you ever get overwhelmed by the sin? Do you ever get overwhelmed by the battles that you face? And we just sometimes despair. That was such a common problem. In the Bible, the psalmist was able to say, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Or listen to Elijah, who just wanted to give up completely. And, and, and for God to take his life away. And Mary, she came to the tomb that morning and they said, They've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. I want to say this, that as we come this morning, whatever condition, in the condition sometimes of despair, that he is the one. Because there was one word that shattered the gloom. And it was this, Mary, Mary. She turned to him and said, Rabboni, which means master. In the darkness, Mary found the answer in relation. There was, to, there was reunion and rejoicing. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? That God can bring us from despair. There's a mother in Dublin whose children were involved in death riding and in drug pushing and all sorts of different things. But one by one they became a Christian. And their home was transformed into a place of peace and tranquility. And she said, when I go, she said, I just want one word upon my grave. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's a wonderful thing to know that God through the cross reaches down to the depths of self-despair. A man was going through open heart surgery. And the nurse took hold of his hands and explained, Tomorrow you will go through a major operation, and it may very well be when you come round that you may not be able to hear or to see or to even speak, but you will be able to feel the grip of my hand. Exactly, it happened in this case exactly as the nurse has said. And as he came round, what made the difference was the grip of the nurse's hand in his. Do I speak to someone this morning and this year has been an incredibly rough year? You come and you feel in such despair. But you know, there's a loving Saviour who wants to come alongside you. Always remember this. My salvation does not depend upon my hold upon God, but God's hold upon me. And he says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Do you know I've studied that word never and do you know what it means? It means never, never will I leave you, nor forsake you. And as we come this morning to break bread, we look at the wounds of Jesus. We stand before a resurrected Christ this morning. And we say this, he will never leave us, nor forsake us. Next slide. I think this morning of a person who languished in jail, Pastor Wong Ming Dao and his wife, he preached the gospel. He saw his congregation grow to over 5,000. He spoke at conferences and conventions. He was arrested, incarcerated in jail. He was put into prison for 22 years and six months in solitary confinement. 
His wife was arrested, spent 19 years in prison. During that time, she was only able to write to her husband on only two occasions. And she never found out if he ever received uh, uh, the letters. There was a point at one point where he appeared to recant. But he brought them out of prison, thinking that they got him. And he said, I used to believe in creation. I used to believe that Jesus died on the cross. I used to believe the resurrection. And then do you know what he said? I still do believe it. And they put him back inside. There he stood. And there he sat. And a friend of mine went to visit him. Now, in, in elderly, uh, older years. And he said this, did you not feel alone in prison? And he said, no, he said. This was the hymn. He said, that meant so much to me. All the way my Saviour leads me. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercies? Who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort. Here by faith alone to dwell. For I know that whatever before me, Jesus do us all things well. Can you imagine as you're 15, 16 years Say, can I doubt his tender mercy? He said it was as if Jesus, he said, came into that prison cell every day. How rightly Dave prayed for a suffering church and people who are in prison who cannot break bread in the way that we are doing this morning. What a wonderful saviour that we, that, that, we, uh, that we have. The age of 90, he was let out, he was in a service in Shanghai. And during the service, he went into the presence of the Lord. While he was, his earthly remains was there, they wanted to stop the service. And his wife said, no, that is not what he would have wanted. Continue on. And they rejoiced in their saviour and carried the earthly remains out of Pastor Wong Ming Dao. I want to say this, however deep the valley is, the cross and the resurrection show this morning as we celebrate the Lord's death, that he is one who can reach us into the depths of our despair. But next, I want you to notice this, that Jesus is the answer to defeat. In all the amazing things that happened that morning, there was one man who felt utterly dejected, and it was Peter. Do you remember one day, Peter, he stood around the fire. He had warm hands, but he had a cold heart. And this little girl, or teenage girl, said, you were one of those. And Peter denied three times, and he denied with oaths and cursing. Maybe is it since you've got back and we examine ourselves this morning. You stood for Jesus on the beach, but have we been guilty of the sin and neglect and not standing up for him when we're at home? Was it C.T. Studd who penned the dog rule? Stand up, stand up for Jesus. I love to sing when in a crowd, but when I'm standing on my own, I don't sing half so loud. Isn't that true? And Peter denied him. And yet, you know, at the morning at the empty tomb, they went down there. And they said this. He goes before you into Galilee. Go tell the disciples and Peter. And Peter. Isn't it wonderful to know this morning that the, that the breaking of bread, as we think of the cross of Jesus, he comes to speak to us, to defeated people, and he can be those who are there. And there came that other moment in time, wasn't there? When Peter this time he stood on a seashore. This time he had warm hands, but he had a warm heart. Because he said, it is the Lord. It is the Lord. And Jesus said, Peter, he said, do you love me? And he asked him three times. He said, do you love me? Do you love me? And God says this morning, he says, do you love me? Do you love me? 
And if we love him, we keep his commandments, don't we? And we come into that wonderful relationship with him. The answer to defeat. The answer to defeat. I look back in my own life where I failed. And yet I'm so glad that there were Christians who came alongside me. Not in harshness, but in grace. Who pointed me to a saviour. Who shed his blood upon a cross. So that I could be really uh, forgiven. We need to examine ourselves. I have a dreaded appointment. It's on a Monday night. I'm going to Weight Watchers. And tomorrow night at 8 o'clock I meet Mildred. She is my trainer. And, um, the, and <clears throat> you go in and you, you do the walk of shame and you wade and, uh, and different things. And they say, we say, you've got to read the book and you've got to turn up to the meetings. And we tell her off. We say, Mildred, you're preaching again. That's what we tell them at church. You know, read the book and turn up to the meetings. But, you know, it's an interesting thing. It keeps you accountable. And, you know, it's a great thing is this, is that when we come to the Lord spiritually, which is far, we come and we say, Lord, search me and try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. And, you know, as God begins to work in our life, he begins to show us and lead us again to the wounds of Jesus. But let me say finally this morning, that he is the answer to death. He is the answer to death. You see, we, the, we do this, as we'll be learning later today, until he comes. Until he comes. It's a wonderful thing to know this, that Titus when he sa- says this, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. We have a confidence in the Saviour. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 15. Which says the most important thing is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he, was, he rose again according to the scriptures. And he then later goes on to say, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of them who have fallen asleep. Do you know what? The cross not only affects our past, we are forgiven from the guilt of sin. Hallelujah. Not only does it affect our present state, we are justified, just as if I'd never sinned. It's the greatest message in town. There is no offer. There were two Muslim friends who were talking to a Christian friend of mine. He said, I see the difference now. You have a saviour, we don't. And that's it. Other religions will say, we do our best. But Jesus says, I've done it for you. And I've risen again so that you can be forgiven. Not only do we have it in the present, but we have it in the future. Because of the cross of Jesus, we know this, that one day, because he has been raised, we will be raised. I tell you a mystery, that we will not all sleep, but we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must put on the imperishable. The hope of the Christian is expressed in an epitaph of Benjamin Franklin. He was a printer by trade. His cemetery is in Christ Church in Philadelphia. And this is what he had written. The body of Franklin printer, like the cover of an old book, its contents torn out and stripped of its lettering and gilding, lies here, food for worms, but the work will not be lost. For it will appear once more in a new and a more elegant edition and appreciated by the author. How lovely. One day we will be changed. We rejoice this morning because there is a way out of the graveyard. I remember when my father and then later my sister were diagnosed with cancer. He said, I know what I've got, but I know where I'm going. 
Because for the Christian, the death of Jesus Christ forgives the past, gives us strength for the day, but gives us a wonderful certainty for tomorrow. There's a lovely lady I went down to Dublin. Helen and I went to visit called Greta Johnson. From the age of 65 to 75, she witnessed away. She would bring a soft cushion and just sit. She's soon going to be with the Lord. And as she was going through great pain, she said, Stephen, she said, I feel so afraid. And I said, remember the words of the psalmist. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. And as we ministered in conversational prayer and just reading of the Bible, she just came into a, a blessed state of certainty because of the resurrection. It's wonderful, isn't it? That whatever comes, we know of the death and the resurrection. On Roger's books, you have this written. Cancer is so limited, it cannot cripple love. It cannot shatter hope. It cannot corrode faith. It cannot eat away peace. It cannot destroy confidence. It cannot kill friendships. It cannot shut out memory. It cannot silence courage. It cannot invade the soul. It cannot reduce eternal life. It cannot quench the spirit. And it cannot lessen the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Cancer is so limited. Now, whatever the disease is that comes, we know this as many great beach missioners, and I look across here, and I just so many names that flood, who are now in the presence of Jesus, and who are worshipping the Lamb who is on the throne. They would say this, the cross, why do we celebrate it this morning? Oh, it's not only the answer to doubt. He's not only the answer to despair and to defeat, but he's the answer to death. God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having cancelled the written code and its regulations, that was against us. He took away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them at the cross. Do you know the wonderful thing this morning? As you look back into the Old Testament, we celebrate the Passover. When I see the blood, I will pass over. Not when we see the blood, but when I see the blood, I will pass over. Soon we will celebrate that. We know it's the prophet, who rugged prophet said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But then we also know, in relation to the Lord Jesus and his passion, as we come soon to the central point, that he is the altogether lovely one. And as I sat with this older lady, and you could see eternity dawning on upon us, on our soul, he said, Stephen, he's, he's, he, he's altogether lovely. And then she said, no, he's very altogether lovely. Very altogether lovely. To the artist, he is the altogether lovely one. To the architect, he's the chief stone. To the baker, he's the living bread. To the biologist, he is life. To the doctor, he is the great physician. To the farmer, he is the lord of the harvest. To the florist, he is the rose of Sharon. To the jeweler, he is the pearl of great price. To the preacher, he is the word of God. To the sculptor, he is the living stone. To the statesman, he is the desire of all nations. To the student, he is the incarnate truth. To the theologian, he is the author and finisher of our faith. To the traveller, he is the new and living way. To the toiler, he is the giver of rest. But to the sinner, he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Oh, this morning, dear brethren and sisters, as we come to meet around the Lord's table, We rejoice this morning because of what he has done. Amen.